You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about presenting Christ to the world. Last week, it's funny, I mentioned at the end of the sermon, just like a little, small, like, miniature commercial about, hey, I'm going to mention, you know, I'm going to speak next week a little bit about, you know, the government in relation to the church. Man, it, it, I, I was get, I can't wait for the sermon. I've been praying all week about this message. And I'm like, it's like a three minute part of the sermon in the middle of the sermon. I, I, maybe I said too much about that. I will address that. I will say some things about our, uh, you know, the church in relation to government. But the majority of the message truly is a strong Bible message that will require your attention, especially in the first few minutes, maybe even a little bit more than, than other messages. We're going to start off. You, you, you might like get the hint when I say this. Open your Bibles to Leviticus. You might be like, oh yeah, we get it. It's going to take a while. Okay. And uh, well, don't take a nap on me. If you're reading your Bible through this year or attempting to do something like that, you're going to get to Leviticus here in a few days. All right. Because it's the early part of the year and Leviticus is the Genesis, Exodus, the third book, Leviticus, uh, there in, in the word. And so we oftentimes look at this book and we're, with a little trepidation, you know, maybe, maybe I can read it fast or speed read through this and I get it. I'm with you on that. But there is something here that I think is so relevant along with Matthew chapter 5 as we look to the Word of God. I do want you to listen and stay with me. I'm going to preach God's Word this morning and that is so very important. You know, I've learned two principles about the Bible. Talking about learning, I'm understanding more and more. It's, it's, it's amazing when... When you just submit yourself to Christ and his authority and the spirits leading in your life, you just get so humbled by that because you realize you may have been pastoring, you may be pastoring the same church for almost 29 years, but you still have a lot to learn. And it's just awesome, really, to to put yourself in that position as as a leader. And, And that's what I've been doing here for the past couple of years, and it has been humbling. And I'm coming to understand some things couple of principles about the Bible, especially about reading the Bible. When you read the Old Testament in light of the second coming of Christ, what happens is there are certain passages that just seem to burst a flame. In other words, you know, Jesus is coming again. Amen. Good. And the Old Testament prophesies about that. And when you read the Old Testament with the second coming of Christ in mind, it makes it come alive, even more than it already is. It's amazing. And then secondly, another principle that I've begun to learn, and even more so since I went to Israel back in January of last year, almost a year ago, basically a year ago, is that the history of Israel is so very important. In fact, the Bible says that, that things happen to them. Get this. For examples, the whole reason it happened to them was for examples to us. So you could take the Old Testament history, and see what God has done to his literal people in the Old Testament and turn those into episodes in your own devotional practice. Uh, Practical lessons, life lessons that you can learn. Incredible applications for our Christian life. But what has caused the Bible to be more real to me, by far, than anything else, is that you find Jesus in all the Bible. It's amazing. The Bible has become so much more real to me as I begin to understand that. 
In the Old Testament, we see Jesus. In the New Testament, we see Jesus. In fact, when the Old Testament was there and the New Testament had not been written, Jesus said this about the Old Testament in John 5, 39. Search the Scriptures, for in them, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, you think you have eternal life, and they are they which, here it is, testify of me. The Old Testament, Jesus said, testifies of my life, the life of Christ. And then on that Emmaus Road, remember that story as Jesus walked after his resurrection on the Emmaus Road, a couple of disciples were with him, each one maybe at his side, they were somewhat discouraged, and then Jesus said this in Luke twenty four twenty seven to them, and the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus is in all the scriptures. The Bible is a hymn book. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's an amazing thing. And if you read the Bible, if you read the Bible and you don't find Jesus, go back and read it again because you missed the main message. The message is about Jesus. Now let's read Leviticus chapter 2. I've got it on the screen, but I always love to hear the rattling of the pages of the Word of God, so thank you for turning. You can look at the screen or look to your Word, make notes in the margin if you'd like. Let's read this. No grain offering, verse 11, that you bring to the Lord, no grain offering that you bring shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. Very interesting passage of Scripture. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season, in other words, also, in addition to no leaven and no honey, in addition to that, when it comes to this grain offering, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Now, one of the Old Testament pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ was the grain offering. Or your, your translation may say the meal offering, the grain offering, the meal offering. Same thing. The grain offering spake of the indwelling Christ. That was the message. It, Christ in our hearts. Thus the title. If you can go back to that screen there. The title screen. The first one. Yeah, there it is. How to present the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, several people noticed that and kind of commented, what's all the white little stuff in the background? Well, by now you know that I've already mentioned it in the, in the scripture. Salt. You can see the salt all around the world, and as we develop the message, that picture prayerfully will become very real to you. You'll have a greater understanding of how you and I are to present Christ in us, the indwelling Christ who lives in all of those today who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. How do you and I present Him to this world? Well, notice three things as to how these offerings are to be made again. Real quickly, verse 11 said that it would be made without leaven. Verse 11 also said that it would be made without honey. Verse 13 says that it would be made with salt. Now, leaven in the Bible speaks of evil. 
Leaven in Scripture speaks of corruption. Leaven is always used in the Bible, always as a symbol of sin. So an offering, therefore, made without leaven speaks of Christ laying a foundation here. By the way, foundations are important, right? They sometimes can take a little long to develop, and I'm only going to take a few more minutes. But thank God for the foundation of the Word of God. Amen? Let's establish that first. Because an offering made without leaven speaks of Christ and his purity. Now, it also says that this offering is to be offered without honey. Honey speaks of external and excessive sweetness. Just over-the-top sweet. Jesus is not the candy Christ. We are not just to pour honey over that which is not right. As if we can externally just sweeten things up and make them all good. Christ is to be presented in his purity. Christ is to be presented in his or with integrity. Come back to that in just a minute. Then thirdly, with salt. Salt was used in the Bible for preserving and purifying. So salt, therefore, speaks of the preserving and purifying life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salt speaks of the vitality of Jesus. That word vitality, the energy, the life. Jesus came not just to give us life, but he came to give us abundant life. Amen. And so Jesus is to be presented with, first of all, purity, second of all, integrity, and third of all, vitality. So let's look at this more closely. Let's break it down and jump into the message. Three things we must understand as we present the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? You ready? We've laid the foundation. Number one, we are, first of all, to present Jesus Christ without leaven, that is, with integrity. What is leaven? Well, I'm not much of a cook, and I don't know a lot about baking, but I do know my daughter and others love to bake. Leaven is yeast. And what does yeast do when you put it in a loaf of bread? It causes corruption. It causes decay. And that speaks of evil. Because evil wants to infiltrate, evil wants to corrupt, and and wants to puff up. And by the way, did you know this? That leaven works the best in lukewarm conditions. God forbid that we would ever become a lukewarm church. Leaven works quietly. It's almost undetected, but it corrupts and it puffs up. So it is very significant that the grain offering is to be made without leaven, he says. Now let's look at Matthew chapter 16. We go to the New Testament. And we see something very interesting about that that Jesus spoke of now. He says in Matthew chapter number 11, beginning in verse number, uh, rather, excuse me, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. The Lord Jesus says this. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? But rather, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and and beware of the leaven, the evil corruption of the Sadducees. Then, the light went on. They understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So in essence, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. And we're going to speak to that in just a moment. 
But now he says also in Mark chapter 8 and verse 15, something very interesting. He also says this. He cautions them and he says, watch out. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And in addition to that, the leaven of Herod. Mm. So notice, it's easy to see. There are three kinds of leaven that Jesus said, watch out for. Watch out for these things. Beware. Remember in Leviticus chapter 2, don't make an offering with any leaven. And then Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of Herod. So it is then with a Christian worldview, which is what you came to hear, which is how we look at things in Scripture and how we apply them to our daily lives. With a Christian worldview, there are three kinds of leaven, very clearly, that we need to be aware of. Number one, we need to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? The leaven of the Pharisees, the religious crowd, was legalism. Legalism. They were religious, very religious, like way up there religious, but they were legalists. They had heads full of scripture, but their hearts were full of sin. They had laws, but they had no life. They had religion, but not reality. They had a profession, but they did not have a possession. Their religion was external, but it was not internal. They could dot every I, they could cross every T, but they couldn't spell love. The easiest thing for a Bible-believing church to do is fall into legalism. Especially a Bible-believing church. In fact, our church would know something about this in our history. We would, we would have, uh, be able to look back, those of us that have been here a while, and, and see how easy it was to fall into that. And as we came to an understanding, we, God has helped us to grow in this area, but we should be afraid of legalism, as much afraid of legalism as we are liberalism. Legalism is a terrible thing. Legalism and liberalism are heads and tails of the same coin. In fact, Jesus had more trouble with the Pharisees than he did anyone else in all the Bible. They were the ones who were constantly quoting the scriptures. But they were legalists. So we are to present Christ without that, without the leaven of the Pharisees. As we go into this world and present Christ to it, we should do it without the leaven of the Pharisees, which is legalism. Number two, he then said this. He said, we need to be aware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Now, who were the Sadducees? Well, the Pharisees were the religious party who were legalists, and the Sadducees were also a religious party who were liberals in Jesus' day. And so Jesus was saying, beware of legalism, and then Jesus said, beware of liberalism. Let's go to the word again, Acts chapter 23 and verse 8. Notice this. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. There's no angel, there's no spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. The Pharisees, they say, we're fundamentalist. We believe the Bible, every jot, every tittle. We believe in the resurrection, we believe in angels, we believe in the supernatural world, we believe it all. The Sadducees said, we don't believe that, we're too 
sophisticated. We're too intellectual for that. So in Matthew 22 and verse 23, the same day the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And you have to look at Matthew 22, a little bit farther down, verse 29, and you find out why they did not believe in a resurrection. Are you ready for this? Here it is. Jesus answered them in the same chapter, verse 29. That's the Sadducees is who he's answering here. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor do you know the power of God. My friends, that is a recipe for liberalism. You don't know the Bible and you don't know its power. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the word of God. That's what makes a liberal a liberal not to believe in the scriptures and not to believe in the power of God. These theologians, we get that word from uh, theos, which means God, and logos, which means the word. Theologians, those that preach the word of God. Men, theos, God, who don't know God, and logian, logos, who don't know the word. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. And thus, oftentimes, we find ourselves in these many modern-day seminaries with liberalism. May it never be said of Champion Christian College as we become more uh, in-depth on the Word of God, which we are, and we're so excited. Some of the greatest meetings we have is how we are going to teach and preach the Word of God at Champion. It's amazing. We've got one this week. I can't wait. May we never become liberal. So Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. And then Jesus said... We need to be aware of the leaven of Herod, which is worldliness. Now, who was Herod? Well, he was a wicked king. He was a pleasure-mad king. He was an immoral king, but he was the ruler in the land at that time. And Jesus said this, beware of the leaven of Herod. Now, Herod was a religious man, very religious. He had a form of godliness, you study his life. He had this, some sort of a crazy form of godliness, but his regime was known for worldliness and political corruption. He even had a political party along with his religious party, kind of a quasi-religious party called the Herodians, you know. And I want to insert America right here for just a few moments because it is with a sad heart that I say that the leaven of Herod has infected America. I'm speaking not necessarily of political America. I get it. We just had an election, and there's a lot of politics in America. In fact, that's pretty much all America seems to be about is her politics. But I'm speaking more about the church. Those inside this room, a form of godliness potentially, but denying the power thereof. Legalism, liberalism, worldliness. That's why it's so important that we understand the proper relationship of church and of Christ And of the government. Because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be identified with any political party. Why? Because we need to maintain a position to tell the Pharisees, to tell the Sadducees, and to tell Herod to repent. All of them need to repent. Christ, not Herod, is king. That's what we just sang all about. In God we trust. In his name we're sure. And I know he will not be shaken. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And the church must never attempt to use the power of government 
for spiritual goals. Government may protect us, and it should, but it cannot improve us morally or spiritually. That's not the purpose of the government. The government must be free to do what it alone can do so that the church can do what she alone can do. Whenever church and state embrace one another, the church always loses. This does not mean that we shouldn't be a part of government as Christians. It's a good thing. I mean, we should render to Caesar what is Caesar's. I'm thankful that our Constitution says that we have a government that's of the people and by the people and for the people and involvement in local politics isn't a bad thing for Christians to do. By no means am I saying that. But we must not, listen, as a church, be infiltrated with the leaven of Herod. The church team seems to be so concerned about separation of church and state and what we really need to be concerned about is separation of church and world. I love America. I do. But Jesus did not come on earth to set up the United States government. He came up to set a kingdom that will never pass away. The kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus came. And we have to look beyond any political solution in Washington. Because the church is not the master of the state. And the church is not the servant of the state. The church is the conscious of the state. And we must preach the word of God because we don't belong to the Democrats. And we don't belong to the Republicans. And we don't belong to the independents. We belong to our sovereign King Jesus. That's who we belong to. We'll find a candidate every time there's an election. We'll find one. And we will vote. And we may win. And we may lose. And when we vote, we're not going to vote for a party. We're not going to vote for a personality. And we're not going to vote our pocketbook. Rather, we're going to vote for principle. The principles of the word of God. And that's all I have to say. You say, Pastor, it took you a while to say that. I've been wondering. You haven't said a whole lot about all this. I just addressed it. And I did it from the Word of God. Not my political persuasion or opinion. It's the Word of God. Now let's move on. There's so much more to say. And it all fits. So how do we present Christ? We do it in purity without leaven. The Pharisees, legalism. The the Sadducees, liberalism. Herod, worldliness. Secondly, we must present Christ, get this, without honey. That is, with integrity. Now, what does honey speak of? Honey speaks of external, as we mentioned already, and excessive sweetness. Now, as you know, and I know, we face some real serious issues, and it seems that we just want to put a little honey on those. A lot of things going on, a lot of serious things happening today, a lot of issues in the world today, even in the church. And so, it seems as if the best way to kind of do that is let's, let's not get irritable, let's not offend anyone. Let's just put a little honey on it. Let's just preach a honey gospel, a, a saccharine gospel. We just, just let's love everybody and let's not be irritable. Let's just be very careful here and just, just make sure that all we do is just love, love, love. Well, God is love. He is. He is immeasurable love. He is inexpressible love. He is undeniable love. He is infinite love, but God is more than love. 
God is also a God of justice. And God is also a God of wrath. And the fact that God is love is only part of the truth. And when you take part of the truth and try to make part of the truth, all of the truth, that part of the truth becomes an untruth. We're not to preach a loveless Christ and we're not to preach a Christless love. We are to preach without leaven, with purity, and without honey, with integrity. We're not to preach peace, peace, when there is no peace. We have too much honey being preached today. Too many churches have become country clubs with a steeple on top. We just gather, not to offend, to make sure that everybody stays happy. We're more concerned about being politically correct than preaching the word of God. Jesus is not a candy Christ. Everybody is not going to heaven. (laughs) You'd be surprised at how many Americans think they're going to heaven, but they've never been born again. We don't hear much preaching on hell anymore. In fact, I I confess, as I did to the 9 a.m. hour, that, that sadly, I don't think I've really preached on hell much lately either. Because we're just pouring honey on everything. It's just sweeten things up. But we're to present Christ without leaven and without honey. But then the scripture goes on to say that this offering is to be made with something. Without leaven, without honey, but with salt. And it's an amazing thing here to see this and to understand this as we have the others that we're to present Christ in purity we're to present Christ in integrity and thirdly we are to present Christ with vitality this speaks salt speaks of the saving life of Jesus Christ that he came to give us life the vitality of our faith there's something about knowing Jesus and knowing the gospel That brings us to a place where we understand the goodness of our God. It leads us to repentance. And it helps us to share the gospel and become the salt of the earth. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored. We'll come back to this in a moment. It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Wow. Now to understand what Jesus was saying, it would help to understand the importance of salt in Jesus' day, right? Because Jesus is saying these words in his day, and it's still very relevant for us today. But first of all, pure salt was very rare and extremely valuable in the day that Jesus lived. Sometimes you would actually pay for your goods with salt. It's where we get the statement, that man's not worth the salt. That's where that comes from. Our word salary comes from the word salt. Because salt was valuable. And you and I have to learn that we need to be valuable to this world. And how can you and I be valuable? We're not to be presenting Christ without leaven so as to puff up this world. We're not to be presenting Christ uh, with, with honey so as to sweeten up this world. But we are to present Christ with salt. And so let me mention some things that salt will do. Are you ready for this? Number one. 
the first thing that salt does is salt preserves. Salt preserves. Salt prevents decay and salt prevents rottenness. And when Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth, who was he talking to? He was talking to fishermen. That's who Jesus was speaking to. They didn't have ice to pack the fish in, did they? No. They didn't have refrigeration to use when they caught a bunch of fish, just throw it in the fridge for a while. No, they didn't have that either. They would catch their fish and salt them down with lots of salt. Because the salt would prevent, what? Decay and corruption. And right before our very eyes, church, America is corrupting because of a lack of salt. A lack of salt. And it seems what salt we do have is just tasteless. It's just useless. I mean, let's go back to the verse we just read a moment ago. We are the salt of the earth, but what happens when the salt, it says in verse number 13 again, when the salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the people's feet. The salt on the shores of the Dead Sea. I had the chance to go to Israel with many of you. And we went to Israel and got to the salt, uh, to the Dead Sea. And as you walked on the shores of the Dead Sea, there would be salt that was, you know, beat down and hardened by the sun and, uh, a lot of pollution and chemicals and decay in that salt. And so it was useless. It was no good for anything other than what they do with that salt is they, they would take it to the streets and mix it with the soil, the mud on the streets, and it would harden. That's the only thing it was good for. Just, well, that salt is no good for anything to make anything taste good, so let's use it on the streets. And it would harden as the feet of people would walk on that salt. Tasteless, useless salt. Church, America needs the preserving salt of the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs it. Love has been uh, forsaken for lust. And man is being magnified above his maker. And sodomy has gone from sin to a socially accepted practice. And the only hope for America is Jesus. More salt. The problem is not Hollywood. The problem is not liquor dealers. The problem is not politicians or theological liberals. The problem isn't even legalists. The problem is with saltless saints. Jesus said, you, me, we're the salt of the earth. Salt preserves. But secondly, salt seasons. Salt causes flavor to burst out. My wife is an amazing cook. My mother-in-law is an amazing cook. I will experience it again for the 7,472nd time. I'm exaggerating to make a point. I love it. I can't wait. I, 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 I'm just so pumped. Because Caroline talks about what we're eating. She, she, she's big Saturdays as Sam's and Kroger and putting it all together. If you know anything about the Capacey house, you come over for lunch, there's one negative. We don't eat till like 2.30. You just sit there, smell the food, and just, it is torture. And then the food finally gets to the table and we line up and we get our food after we pray around the table holding hands together. Then we start getting the food and we pile up our plates and we all sit down and inevitably, here, here comes, pass the salt. Great food. Delicious. But there's something about a little salt that makes that flavor 
just burst out. We need zest in our Christian life. We need some flavor. Too many of us are living flavorless lives. The problem oftentimes is our testimony, our literal testimony for Jesus is without salt. Jesus talked about the blind leading the blind, but today in the church I think it's the bland leading the bland. We just need more salt, need more zest, need more tang to our faith. Vitality. You know, I love what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul said it like this. Or actually, I, I didn't quote this one. Let me quote Job first. Thanks. Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? And then Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, and Paul knew this. He said, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Do you know where boring sermons come from? Boring preachers. Do you know where boring lessons come from? Boring teachers. Yeah, teachers get mad because everybody's sleeping in class. Maybe they just need to get some zest in their lesson. Some life, you know. And I'm not saying everybody needs to preach or teach a certain way, but I am saying this, that all of us, when we believe what we're teaching, when we've been affected by it, it affects the way we teach it. Hey, listen, we don't need to live a boring life. This world needs to know Jesus is alive and he has abundant life offered to them. Salt seasons the Christian life. It flavors it. It gives it a zest. Boring churches are saltless. We're to present Christ with much salt. Salt preserves, salt seasons. Thirdly, salt heals. It heals. It's medicinal. And we need the medicinal touch of Jesus in our lives. The gospel heals. And we have the gospel. You know, listen, not a day goes by on average. Not a day. I'm not going to say every day, but on average, Every day. In other words, if there's 365 days in a year, at least 365 times a year, probably times three. Sometimes on one single day. Last week, I remember one day, because I, I have a practice every morning. I look back on the previous day, and I pray for everybody that I talk to that previous day. It just helps me in my prayer life to keep it fresh. And then I thank him for all the things that he did the previous day. The other day, on one day, I prayed for five people who were hurting really bad. One was a broken home. The other was a broken child. Broken lives. Broken hopes. But can I tell you something? Jesus came to heal broken homes. And Jesus came to heal. The gospel of Jesus Christ came to heal broken hopes and broken hearts. And we have that gospel. Salt heals. Salt also, though, irritates. It does. Has anybody here ever gotten salt in a wound? It burns, doesn't it? That's what Mark chapter 9, verse 49 speaks of when it says, For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. When you present the Lord Jesus Christ, when you present the gospel with salt rather than honey, guess what? It will sting sometimes. <laughs> Anybody ever come to church before and said something like this, maybe on the way out? Whoa, preacher, you've been following me all week this week? You have a camera on me or something? Man, that was, whew, that was something. No, I didn't, I promise, I have no camera on you. I'm not doing, I'm not following you. Preacher, you sure stepped on my toes. No, that was the Holy Spirit. 
I, I, I had nothing to do with it. And the reason I know is because I stepped on my own toes. How stupid is that? Who would do that, right? I, nobody, including me. It's the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many, how many times I'm under conviction by my own preaching? <laughs> and don't tell me I shouldn't preach if I am under conviction. You ought to be happy about that. Amen. I'm just one sinner preaching to other sinners how we can all sin a little bit less. Amen. We're in this thing together. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit of God, if Jesus is presented in the pulpit correctly, you will be under conviction. He is not a candy Christ. Will not always be popular in our preaching, but I have often found where there is no offense, there is no effect. We desperately need to preach the gospel, not be obnoxious. Man, has anybody ever heard somebody that's obnoxious? In fact, can I tell you what? It seems like the last three months in our world, we've got a lot of obnoxious Christians out there. Just obnoxious. It's just, that's not the way we want Christ presented. That's craziness. That's ridiculous. That's over the top. That's not, that's not doing us any favors. Can, can I get it? An, an amen? Yes. Let's be careful about that. I Do not misunderstand me. I'm not provoking you in that way. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I am talking about being bold. Yes. Bold. We are not to please man. Rather, we are to please God. And then number five, salt, finally, listen, it penetrates. It penetrates. You can take a pinch of salt. You can take that little pinch of salt, put it in a jug of water, and guess what? It affects the whole jug of water. One pinch of salt. And so we need to get the salt out of the church and into the community. Amen. You don't see salt separated from the fish. You don't put the salt in here and the fish over here. You put the salt with the fish. And what we need to do is we need to leave our saltiness. Listen, we are way too much salt. salt I'm, I'm, I'm doing way too much and you're doing way too much of just salting saints. We just salt one another. We just keep salting one another. I mean, we, that, that's what we seem to do the most of. Just we, we, we come to church and we just salt each other. But we're not the salt of the church, we're the salt of the earth. Amen. That, that scripture properly interpreted is you and I are to spend a little less time salting one another. Let's go out there and salt this world that needs Jesus. That's why I love, and if you call the prayer line any given morning, you'll oftentimes hear pastors say this. I'll say something like this. Hey, guys, don't forget now. It's Tuesday. Pick up your phone. Invite somebody to church this week. Just reminding you before it gets to Saturday and you're rushing to think of somebody and I'm not thinking of anybody when I say this. I'm just generally saying, do you ever even in, do that at all? Well, I would, no, I don't invite anybody. I don't pick up the phone. I don't ever think about it. Salt penetrates. You say, I'm just waiting for the next time to come and get salted. Well, why don't you go salt somebody? Amen. Salt penetrates. We are the salt of the earth. We need to get into our community and bring people to Jesus Christ. And so here's my challenge. And by the way, this challenge is for me too. I'm challenging you and challenging me to present Jesus Christ to this community and to the world in the way in which he should be presented. I'm challenging you to do it without leaven, that is with purity. Without honey, that is with integrity. And with, with salt, that is with vitality. 
You say, preacher, how do you feel about living in the day that we live in? Are you excited about it? Love it. I love it. You say, what about stuff that's going on? Now in God we trust, in his name we hope, and I know God will not be shaken. Why do you have to be so vital, vitality? Why do you have to be so excited? Well, because I serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we win. And we're on the winning side. That's why. I'm really not all that depressed about these things. I, I, I just can't be. I, my citizenship is in heaven. I prayed that confession prayer with you. Too often I'm selfish. Too often I just care about my own conveniences and my own comfort in this world. And I'm laying up treasures on earth moth and dust corrupts and where thieves break through and steal but a Christian whose citizenship is in heaven he lays up his treasures in heaven where neither moth or dust corrupts and where thieves can't break through and steal it's eternal that's my message may we live our lives as citizens of heaven may we confess today and repent today of the times as Jordan even reminded us And me included, this weekend, this week, where I forgot and need his forgiveness. And I accept that forgiveness this morning. And I'm grateful today that I can leave this place now covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. Cleanse me from all sin. And may I go out and become the salt of the earth. You know why we are standing today in an amazing day in our country? Because we have a chance like never before to share the amazing love of Jesus Christ the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ now more than ever in just a moment we're going to sing this song it's entitled God you're so good wow the words to the song are just amazing and I think we need to keep them in mind when presenting Jesus with purity and with integrity and with vitality it says I'm blessed I'm called I'm healed I'm whole I'm saved in Jesus name highly favored anointed Filled with your power for the glory of Jesus' name. God, you're so good. You're so good. You're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of of, of all witnessing. You're worthy of my testimony being seasoned with salt. You're worthy of me presenting you in purity and, and in integrity. God, you're worthy of that. And may, God, this week, may I live as a citizen of heaven. Sharing the gospel with others. May I not be guilty of some of those things this morning that I confessed as sins which easily seem to creep into my my life. And so I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to start with this, about a 15, 20 second silent prayer where you bow with me. I know that before I lead a corporate prayer, I need a moment of silence myself with God. I'm going to invite you into his presence right now. Let's bow our heads, shall we?